This is episode 48 with advanced sports performance coach, USA weightlifting national coach, and the strength coach for elite runners up in Boulder, Colorado, Mr. Randy Hauer. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and it's been a little while, hasn't it? This is the first episode of the new year, and uh, I hope it's off to a great start for you. As many of you know, things have been pretty insane here at Strength Running HQ because we are in the middle of releasing our newest flagship training program. For the last 18 months or so, I've been working with today's guest, Randy, on a lifting program for runners. And our goal with the program was simple. We wanted to create a complete beginning-to-end strength program that was specifically built for the unique needs of runners and also good enough for elite runners. I ended up hiring a video team and two pro runners to model all of the 40, 45 movements or so that's, that are included in the program. It's called High Performance Lifting, and it's the only weightlifting program for runners that's developed by a USA track and field and a USA weightlifting coach. So it's progressive, so you know you're going to improve and progress with your strength gains as you go through the workouts. It's periodized, so you know you're doing the right type of lifting at the right time. And with a focus on preventing injury, strength, power, and neuromuscular coordination, you're going to get a lot faster at the same time as getting a lot stronger. Before we dive into our conversation with Randy, thank you to Health IQ for sponsoring this episode. Did you ever think your running habit would save you some cash money on life insurance? Well, it can. Go to healthiq.com strengthrunning to get discounted life insurance simply because you're a runner. Okay, today we are talking with the man, the myth, the legend, Randy Hauer. He's here to discuss weightlifting for endurance runners and tackle many of the questions that I've received over the last few weeks about how runners should get strong in the gym. Randy works with some of Brad Hudson's elite athletes up in Boulder, Colorado. If you don't know Brad Hudson, he's the author of my favorite running book, Run Faster, and he's also worked with Olympians like Dathan Ritzenhine. He now coaches a group of elites uh, up in Boulder and works with Randy to help direct his athletes' strength training. Randy is a USA weightlifting national coach. He's an advanced sports performance coach and a Totten Training Systems advanced Olympic weightlifting coach. So he has quite a few certifications to his name. Uh, he's also instructor for the USA weightlifting sports performance coaches course and has trained and certified hundreds of new weightlifting and other sports performance coaches over the years. And he has 30 years total of experience in the strength and conditioning world and is a former medalist in the master's division at the National Olympic Weightlifting Championships. He's the guy you want to listen to when it comes to strength training for endurance runners. Make sure to check out High Performance Lifting at strengthrunning.com slash highperformancelifting. And there is a hyphen in between high performance and lifting. And there you'll see the full high-performance lifting program, what it includes, all of the great workouts and concepts that we present there. And our discounted launch pricing does expire on Thursday night. So if you want to get fit like the pros, don't wait. All right, guys, let's dive in. Please enjoy my conversation with Randy Hauer. All right, here we are with the brains behind the high-performance lifting strength programming, Randy Hauer. Thanks for sitting down with me today, Randy. Nice to be here, Jason. 
So what we're going to do is answer a lot of the questions that came up on last week's webinar about lifting for speed. And I think it'll be instructive to have uh, both me and you, Randy, go over these questions for the reason that I'm not a strength coach. So I'm a running coach. And most of what you know, Randy, I don't know. And so our listeners um, may be a little unclear on some things, and that probably means that I'm unclear on things too. And so uh, I'm glad that you're here to help us get to the bottom of any of the thorny issues in these questions. And we have all manner of questions today from scheduling strength work to battling soreness to other training strategies for gaining strength. So uh, I guess let's start big picture by talking about some other ways to strength training that are different from what we recommend. So first, what are your thoughts on uh, high-intensity interval training or HIT training? I know a lot of runners like to do this in the gym. Yeah, I, I think HIT is is okay. The principle behind it is that you're, you're working hard, you're working quickly. Uh, some protocols have you working to failure or near failure. Um, I think there's some, again, this is the strength coaches answer to every puzzling question is it, it, it all depends. So I think hit has its, its place. Uh, I'm not sure I like it for absolute beginners. Uh, I think it can be something that can be worked into, uh, uh, a program for, uh, you know, more advanced lifters for a little bit of variety. Uh, I think there are components of it that you could argue would work well in uh, a preparatory phase. Uh, so it just sort of depends on what you're going for. I know that's almost never a satisfying answer for anybody, but it's you really uh, – from a strength and conditioning standpoint, when you're looking at what an athlete uh, needs or wants to accomplish, uh, that, that kind of determines uh, whether or not something has validity. And so depending where they are in their training season, how many races they've got coming up, are they injured, are they rehabbing, uh, you know, that's pretty much going to be, it depends, is going to be pretty much be the answer to, to, to all those questions. Is this appropriate? Yeah, and uh, that's also the running coach's answer to most <laughs> training questions, too. So <laughs> right? uh, I I'm not too dismayed to hear that. I guess the way that I think about high-intensity interval training is that uh, it can be a good piece of your overall strength training program, but to rely on it for all of what you do in the gym, I think, is misguided. First, you don't always want a high-intensity lifting session. Sometimes you want a relatively low-intensity lifting session, depending upon the purpose of that strength workout. And then the other issue that I think we have to remind, uh, remember here is that there should be periodized strength training throughout the season. So what you're doing in week one of base training is going to look a lot different than what you do the week of your race. And I think the problem with high-intensity interval training is that it's high intensity and you can't do that every single week in the gym. And that's, you know, in my mind, that's going to lead to athletes getting burned out either physically or mentally from the intensity level of those workouts. So, uh, you know, I think it's a good thing that you can add in at certain times just to increase the intensity factor of a workout. But, you know, for me, when I think about things, it's, it's, it's too much intensity over, you know, too long of a time period. It's just done too frequently. Would you think that perspective is fair? 
Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's not uh, for for athletes in general. Uh, I don't think it's a protocol that you want to hit, no pun intended, uh, all the time uh, for the reasons that you you stated. It's just it's too much. Uh, too soon. So, you know, there's this, you know, the Russians uh, uh, years and years ago came up with this notion of uh, not a lactic training, but anti-glycolytic training. And so, uh, you know, the idea with runners is, is that we're trying to increase their speed, their power, their local muscular endurance. And so the goal isn't to uh, wear them out every workout. It hits a pretty intense uh, uh, protocol. You, you know, you tend to be pushing it to the edge every workout, you know, so you're in that sort of state or near state of acidosis every workout, which uh, it's kind of the old school method for increasing tolerance to uh, acidosis, but uh, really the best way to do it is to go a little bit easier on yourself, push it to the edge of acidosis, get you know some phosphorylation and uh, increase the muscular oxidative processes, like uh, you know building mitochondria. Uh, uh, mitochondria biogenesis and respiration, not just trashing yourself. And again, you know, hits great for, you know, building uh, muscle. And, you know, uh, there's been variations of it that bodybuilders have used for years, but it's not really strength and conditioning the way I look at it anyway. Yeah. And the way I look at it too is, is almost like, uh, the fact that it's so intense makes it very similar in my mind to a really intense track workout. Maybe you're doing 12 times 400, you know, at a very fast pace. Is, is that bad? Is that a bad thing to do? No, of course not. That's a great workout. But at the same time, are we going to do it twice a week for 16 weeks? Of course not. You know, there's a time and a place for that level of intensity. Now, here's a question that I got that is similar. Uh, but a little bit of a, of a different type of uh, intense lifting program, which is CrossFit. How is high-performance lifting different from CrossFit? Well, you know, CrossFit's uh, method is constantly varied, high-intensity training. Uh, it attacks, it tries to attack, uh, you know, multiple skills set so you have you know body weight gymnastics you have olympic style weightlifting uh you have some running you have uh body weight exercises and um you know so the the theory behind it is is that um you're uh increasing fitness by doing basically high intensity work uh on a constantly varied basis so you're not doing the same workout every day uh you're changing up the exercises but uh the intensities are always high uh so that you know that metabolic uh metabolic workouts the workout of the day and i think uh, as far as it goes i used to work in a crossfit gym as a weightlifting coach uh, and i think as far as it goes uh if you're an athlete uh, with an interest in a sport, if you're only training CrossFit, you're not going to get better at your sport. Uh, I think you can uh, drop CrossFit in from time to time when you're in a general physical preparation phase. So if you're like not running a lot, you're kind of in, on a break between 
programs long you know so if you're 16 weeks out 20 weeks out from something major uh and you like to do crossfit you know it's it's uh it's better than it's better than nothing right a lot better than nothing for most people and uh done properly and scaled properly it can be useful but again it's uh uh it's not really periodized training where there's a you know uh a, a build towards uh, the end of the season. And, and even the, you know, the CrossFit athletes who are, uh, you know, the, the elite guys and girls who men and women, I should say, sorry, who, uh, who compete in the games. Uh, I mean, their, their training uh, protocols are not doing CrossFit headquarters uh, off the internet. They're not doing that wad every day or, twice a day you know they're they're focusing on specific weaknesses so they actually train like athletes they're bringing their weightlifting up if that's a weak area they're working on their gymnastics if that's a weak area and certainly they'll do you know some of the benchmark wads and things because those things pop up and you need to be able to execute them at a high level uh, but again it's 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 uh it's not what we would call real strength and conditioning and, and, and they make no bones about that. I mean, I think in the, uh, uh, in some of the foundational documents, even coach Glassman says, look, you know, you might be an 800 pound deadlifter when you come in, but you can't do any of these other things. And by the time you're done, you may not be able to deadlift 800 pounds anymore, but you'll be way fitter across these multiple, do- multiple domains. And, uh, you know, so their definition of fitness is a more general fitness, more overall, the organism is more overall fit for multiple capacities, but isn't particularly fit at any one thing. So like what we would call being fit for running a, a marathon, they would, that doesn't factor into how they think about fitness. You know, so uh, fitness for a weightlifting meet for my weightlifters is not the same thing as being fit to do a CrossFit lot. And so, uh, you know, the use of that word kind of creates some confusion, I think. But to back, back, get back to the basic point, it's like, uh, I think CrossFit is is fine uh, if you're incorporating it in a thoughtful way as part of uh, maybe a conditioning phase of your training, but not as a main part of your training. Yeah, the two indictments against CrossFit that are most prominent in my mind are the fact that there's no periodization. And, uh, it's, it's also very interesting to me to see that the best CrossFitters in the world, you know, the men and women who are competing at a really high level at the CrossFit games don't train by doing CrossFit. So to me, you know, that almost makes it seem like CrossFit is a sport, but not a good way to actually get ready for any type of sport. It's not really training, but it can be considered uh, a sport that you compete in. Right. So, I mean, uh, when CrossFit was brand new, uh, you know, in the early 2000s, I was very taken with some of the uh, the work they were doing. Uh, I was doing more personal training at the time, a little bit of strength coaching, but more personal training. And, you know, it was uh, basically taking, I don't mean the name drop here, but like Tudor Bumpa, you know, one of the Russian fathers of periodization. I mean, he talks a lot about you know, circuit training in the early part of, uh, you know, the, the GPP phase, what he calls the, uh, let's see, the anatomical adaptation phase, you know, so you're getting the body ready for heavier work to come. 
as just sort of a general fitness fun thing, interesting thing to do. It was, you know, it was just circuit tra- circuit training taken to a, you know, slightly more crazy level on something like fight gone bad and things like that. Or, you know, they're, they're, uh, if, if you're a reasonably fit individual or if it's scaled properly for a, a deconditioned individual, those, those workouts can be hilarious fun, you know, and, uh, and if, uh, you know, in a personal training situation where you're, uh, you know, trying to give your your clients what they need, uh, but you got to work in a little bit about what they a little bit of uh, what they want. You know, which is fun. You know, it was it was a it was an interesting solution to that, and so I enjoyed setting up those circuits. I love hearing your thoughts on on things like this because you know you're really looking at it from a higher level. You know, you're looking at the programming of it, why they're doing certain things, and and I always find that really interesting. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the scheduling of strength work. So when we kind of put it into a running program, a lot of runners have questions about this. And um, let's start with when you do it around a run. Should you lift before you run, after your run, later in the day, after your run, perhaps? Uh, so maybe you run in the morning and then in the afternoon or early evening, you might do your lifting session. What do you think is the best schedule uh, on a day like that? Well, going going back, I mentioned earlier the uh, uh, the Russian uh, anti-glycolytic training. So they they would do that in bouts. Their rule of thumb. So I, I can't remember if it was Verkashansky or which of the Russian authors pointed this out, but they generally went if you can go. 35 minutes to 40 minutes between different bouts of exercise. So let's say you've got, you know, a track workout and you got to get a, a lift in minimum 35, 40 minutes, but as long as you can wait between hours a day, uh, but 35 to 40 minutes is about the minimum that uh, where, where you're not, throwing confusing metabolic biochemical information at the body to adapt to. So when it comes to strength training for runners, we're not, we're not dealing really uh, with some of the factors that, you know, a, a bodybuilder would have to be concerned about the enzymatic factors. So, you know, if you're trying to build a boatload of muscle, you know, you, you really want to avoid the, uh, a high level of aerobics. Now, there's plenty of bodybuilders who in their cutting phase will, you know, get on a treadmill and walk for hours at a time uh, to cut that last little bit of, you know, of, of fat and, and what have you. And, uh, uh, and they are concerned about, uh, you know, confusing uh, enzyme production. So uh, runners, on the other hand, I mean, we're, we're really looking at how do we optimize our, uh, biochemistry and the neurological phenomenon involved in uh, developing strength and explosive explosiveness and so on. So a half an hour to 40 minutes between bouts or as long as you can go. I, I And then after that, I think it becomes preference. So you look at, uh, you know, some runners I've worked with, they like to do, they, they like to have a true easy day. And so if they have an easy day, they won't lift on that day. Uh, and, 
they also like to have a really hard day. So they may have a, you know, a couple of hard sessions and I might be their third session of the day. I might be sandwiched in between two sessions. It might be the last one. But uh, for them, that's like a good hard day and they get to enjoy their easy day. And I, and I think there's some merit to that uh, uh, way of thinking. Um, if I had my druthers, uh, I'd rather people have a hard day and an easy day instead of kind of spreading it all out and have middling days as a result of training the weights. Because uh, you want to be able to hit your hard days hard and you want to be able to, uh, you know, and, and that, that depends on you being responsible about going as easy as you're supposed to go on your easy days. If you don't go easy, you can't hit those hard days as hard as you're supposed to. And, you know, so you're, you're not going to get uh, the optimal results from that particular workout. So that, that's kind of how I look at it. But I, I think it does boil down to preference. And we all have jobs. We all have, you know, most of our parents with kids at school. You know, you got to work it uh, with your schedule. Everything registers in your recovery time. You know, if you're stressed, if you're not eating well, if you're not sleeping well, if you're not getting enough, you know, me time, all, all that stuff uh, factors in. And so you want to, you know, you want to do it in, in the in the way that works the best for you, given the, you know the realities of your of your life. You know, so yeah, that's a good perspective, and and I think that you know making your hard days hard and your easy days easy is is a really nice way to uh, polarize your training and r really make sure that, you know, on an easy day, you're maximizing recovery on a hard day. You're maximizing, you know, all the adaptations that you could conceivably get from those training sessions. Um, one of the things I'll say is that I, I think whatever your primary form of exercise is. And so for runners, that's going to be running, uh, you know, lifting is there to aid and support and supplement our running, not necessarily be you know, our priority. So it does make sense to lift after you run. You wouldn't want to get in the gym and do a hard lifting workout and then get on the track for a track workout or then go for your run. Because I think your running is going to be uh, slightly compromised after a lifting session, particularly if you're doing a hard running session. So I think it's always advantageous to, to run first and then do your lifting session afterward, you know, prefer, pre preferably with a little bit of time in between so that you can, you know, change your clothes, get a little bit of food and water and, you know, let your body kind of reset. So you're not confusing, you know, your muscles and all the biochemics that, uh, Randy mentioned earlier. So Randy, um, let's talk more about the fear that lifting is going to make you too sore. This is a big one. And a lot of runners, uh, I think, envision themselves being so sore after a lifting workout that they're not going to be able to run the next day or even two days later. Uh, what's your response to that? It happens. Uh, it's not the goal of lifting. And if it's happening all the time, something's, something's going on. Uh, there's a, a general rule. Uh, it's called the, it's a, I think it's called the law of repeated bouts. So the more you do a particular movement, the less sore it will make you over time. So everybody gets sore. You know, if you've laid off squatting for, a, if you're a young person and you've laid off squatting for a couple of weeks, I can promise you, you're going to get sore the first day you come back and start squatting again. Uh, I've noticed that that doesn't happen quite as severely to older lifters, masters age lifters and runners. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the, the mechanism is there, but 
young guys, they I, I, maybe because they just heal up better and they recruit more fiber quicker. Uh, I, I'm not sure what it is, but they tend to get more sore. Now, having said that, uh, if you uh, are responsible about starting light and just going through, I mean, if you're talking about a bodyweight squat and an empty bar overhead press and maybe a 25-pound kettlebell deadlift, I mean, if that's making you sore, well, you're just deconditioned. That's not going to be an ongoing phenomenon for you. I mean, that's going to last a couple of workouts. You might have to suffer you know, through a, a running workout or two until it abates. But delayed onset muscle soreness, usually it's, you know, you know, if you're really deconditioned, it's going to show up the day of your left. You're going to start getting sore that night. If you've been doing it for a while, you may not get DOMS at all. Uh, if, you, if you're in good shape, if you've been lifting for a while, and we put a variation of an exercise in, say front squat versus back squat, you might get a little, I mean, not a lot, just a, you might get a little notice of soreness. Like I have my runners come in from time to time and, and they actually like getting a little bit sore now. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll come in and go, boy, that last workout, you know, with the reverse lunges, I really felt that in my, in my run, not in a bad way. And to kind of address that, you know, lifting after uh, or, or running after a lift, I, I have quite a few of my uh, athletes who actually find they run a little bit better. They usually have in their evening runs, it's usually a shakeout run anyway, uh, but they usually feel better after getting, you know, at least the way we lift here, uh, they usually feel better uh, on their run than they, than they feel on days when they don't lift. So that's interesting to me. And they have a, they have a similar experience on races. They find as their body gets accustomed to the lift, if they lay off the lift, you know, to try to, you know, quote unquote, rest for the race, uh, they tend to feel not quite as springy. And so, uh, I mean, there's there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of uh, studies out there. Uh, I can't quote the the authors, uh, but uh, or the school even, but it was a collegiate uh, women's basketball team. Uh, they lift on the they lift on the days that they compete, you know, even if they're traveling, they'll, you know, they'll use their, the visitor's gym, you know, and, and get a lift in in the morning before they compete. Uh, uh, I remember uh, back when I lived in Chicago, Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan, I remember a photo of them doing uh, power snatches in the weight room, you know, just, you know, an hour or two before a game, it was like part of their warm up for their game. They get a quick lift in. And so, uh, I, I think it's a little bit of a misplaced, well, all phobias are misplaced, but it's a, it's a little bit of a misplaced fear that you're going to get too sore to work out, especially if you do it consistently. Expect a little soreness if you haven't done the exercise before or if you've laid off for a while. Uh, but otherwise, it should, you know, it, it should clear up it, like any other. If I went out for a run now, I can promise you that my quads would be brutalized tomorrow when I woke up. That's where I get sore if I haven't run for a while. Uh, I don't know if that's true for everybody, but you know, uh, if I get you know three or four runs in in a week, you know that that clears up pretty quickly, and then it doesn't happen again until I lay off for a while. Yeah, I think it's it's instructive that this is really a consistency issue, and counterintuitively, the more 
frequently that you lift weights, the less sore you're going to be. And uh, I, I think it's instructive too. It's really important to to program strength training appropriately so that you're not getting in the gym and either you know lifting close to your one rep max or you know doing a, a power exercise, a very explosive type of movement with a fair amount of weight. You don't want to be doing that on day one. And right. any good lifting program should be uh, should progress appropriately from you know a, a place where you're building general basic level of strength first, and then you're adding onto uh, that with some additional complexity. And uh, you know I I, I love right. that you said some of your runners uh, feel better when they're a little sore from their lifting. Cause I, I think there's nothing more hilarious yeah. than thin runners talking about how swole they are from <laughs> lifting at the gym. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, uh, it's, it is a good sore. It's like a good soreness that you get after a fast workout. You know, you don't want it yeah. to be debilitating, but you also want to feel like you did something. And that means that your body is, uh, received the appropriate stimulus. It adds, it adds a little edge to things. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, you're going to adapt a little bit of edge. Yeah. Right. Um, I think, you know, I, I think to bring in here this concept of strength training, being in the gym, barbells, you got your lunkheads, you got, you know, bros. I mean, all that stuff, you know, really the way I want runners and I, I'll, even my weightlifters, I want them to think of this as not a workout so much, or a training even so much as it is a practice. You're coming in and practicing. So, you know, one of the early big influences on the way I think about coaching uh, is this guy, Pavel Satsalin, and he coined this strength as a skill. And uh, and so, you know, I come from a fine arts background. So, you know, I look at this uh, no differently than, you know, me as a musician having to practice my scales or me as an artist, you know, doing my, you know, six to nine hours a week of, a figure drawing. I mean, these were all fundamental things that you just had to do in order to be competent at your work. And so, uh, but it was just practice, you know, it wasn't like a, a workout. And uh, uh, the other coach that I uh, have taken to understand lately is Franz Bosch. And, uh, you know, he, he thinks of, of strength training for runners as coordination training under resistance, I and, love and I think that's a use. I think that's a useful way to look at it too. So you got strength as a skill, coordination training under resistance. So it you know for for most runners coming in, especially if they're new, uh, it's learning the movements because and, and and then lightly loading them, and then you know over time you've got to increase it a bit, but it's never going to be as much as somebody who's trying to bodybuild or somebody. You know, there's some distance runners out there that are putting up some pretty impressive weights. Um, I go back to uh, uh, I'm going to I'm going to blank on his name. Uh, he was a uh, a runner for Great Britain in the fit uh, in the fifties sixties. So, sorry, no, was, in the fifties and sixties. Was it Sebco? No, it wasn't Sebco. He was uh, Seb was in the what the seventies and the eighties. Yeah, a little later, I think. I think. So. Uh, It'll come to me in a minute, but at any rate, uh, he was a, he was a middle distance guy, and his his complaint was that he could grind it out with anybody. He could he go 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 go, but he'd lose it in the kick. And uh, he started. He was an Olympian, and he started uh, working with some of the throwers in the gym. He was putting up like 
half body weight, you know, one arm presses. Now he, he weighed 129 pounds, so it's like 60, 70 pounds he's put on. But that's that's reasonable way he was doing. Uh, probably dumbbell swings. I don't think we, I don't think kettlebells. And he might, they might have had ring weights accessible still then, but it was probably dumbbell swings. He's like half body weight dumbbell swings. And I mean, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was impressive way. So, uh, and he was a, you know, not a big guy, but, uh, but strong. And he, uh, he said after, you know, after he lifted, you know, he was able to, he was still able to grind it out, but now he had a kick and the, and the throwers made sure he was lifting honestly and properly. And, uh, it's one of the, one of the touchstones for how I, uh, thought about strength training for runners. Cause this guy was such a, a, a maverick at the time. Cause almost no, almost no athletes were weight training at the time. Uh, and certainly runners were, were not, you know, Addie Bracey who models all of the exercises in high performance lifting. She's the mountain runner of the year, I believe for 2017. And, uh, she, she noticed 2008, some of these, 2018 or 16 and 16 and 17, 16 yeah. and 17. I, you know what? I've been trying to find that out. I need to email her because I, I thought it was 16. Then I was 17 and it's uh, two years yeah. in a row. She got it two years in a row. Well, yeah, her and Maggie, excuse me, Maggie Callahan, who model uh, the exercises in high performance lifting, they've both communicated to me that they've noticed their finishing kick in races is a lot stronger because they just have the power. They're able to better maintain their form when they're really tired. And uh, that's such a, a big benefit to to lifting properly that I think uh, th that's something that runners are going to really tangibly feel in, in their performances. Now, Randy, one of the other issues that runners seem to have around weightlifting is that, uh, you know, they're, they're almost afraid of it once they get to a certain age. So, you know, in HPL, we include everything from, you know, uh, classic strength movements like the squat to more explosive movements like a power snatch and even plyometrics and very simple bodyweight exercises. Would you say that a lifting program like this is appropriate for someone who's 40, 50, maybe even 60 years old. In other words, what considerations should we make for older runners? It, it definitely matters a lot. Now, your your average older runner is uh, not the same as your average anybody couch potato. Uh, so they, they're, they're, they're going to be fitter. Uh, they've got some mileage on them. Again, no, no pun intended, but higher mileage. Uh, they probably got some orthopedic issues. And so uh, for older runners, they just need to be responsible about uh, their current state of mobility and flexibility. So like I have high school athletes, you know, they're bored with hang power snatches, you know, and so we learn how to do full snatches and they love to do it, but they're, you know, 16 years old or mobile, they're young, you know, uh, Neuro, uh, neurologically plastic is stuff, you know, it comes easy to them. It's fun for them. Uh, you know, you put 40 more years on them, 50 more years on them. And, uh, it's like death and taxes. I mean, you're, uh, you're, uh, not going to be as flexible. Those connective tissues are going to toughen up, be less elastic. It's just, it's just the way it is. You can, you know, if you're lucky, you maintain a reasonable amount of joint health and have uh, mobility 
uh, say, a full range of mobility around the joints, but mobility and flexibility are, are not the same thing. And so you may have somebody who's got, you know, in one, uh, one set of exercises, you know, the ability, to, they have both mobility and flexibility, and they can stabilize the movement, like in a full squat, let's say. But they may not have the T-spine flexibility, mobility anymore to, to be able to do an overhead squat. You know, so they may be able to do a half squat or a quarter squat. And, you know, so uh, those things all have some value. So you want to, I, the short answer is yes. The program is in terms of how it's organized is, I think, scalable and appropriate for anyone. Uh, but an older athlete really needs to be responsible about their their mobility and their flexibility and not move into pain, not do things that feel sketchy. If it feels sketchy, it's sketchy. Don't do it, you know, and, uh, and use the, and use the movements as a, a kind of a way to, you know, gauge your overall, uh, movement health, let's call it. Uh, you know, it, they might benefit, you know, they may say, oh, you know, I can't get my arms over my head like I thought I could, you know, well, you know maybe see a PT, maybe a massage therapist, maybe, you know, get a little work done, see what's, see what's what, you know. So I think the older athlete just has to be a little more careful. Uh, pain is a stoplight for, for older athletes, you know, don't, don't go there. If it hurts, don't go there. Go, you know, figure out what it is. You know, don't, don't move into pain. Uh, power movements, uh, they, they can be done. It just, uh, uh, one of the things about power is, is it's, it's largely a neuromuscular phenomenon. And again, like death and taxes, as we get older, our reflexes uh, slow down. And so uh, even if you keep practicing it, I'm not sure there's really any data that supports the idea that you maintain reflexes like you can maintain muscle mass if you keep training. I suspect you can. I think it's like anything else. If you stick with it, uh, you know, it's going to forestall the inevitable. But uh, some, you know, some of these movements need to be done rather quickly. And so if you have to do them with a PVC pipe or an aluminum bar in order to get the speed, then that's what you, you should do. It's kind of a roundabout answer, but... Uh, you know, take, you know, older, older runners really need to look after themselves and not, uh, not ding themselves up because it's easier to get hurt in any activity, one, and two, they're fit. So, uh, you know, what they should be doing in the weight room isn't going to probably feel like enough to them. And so they may make the mistake of more is better. Uh, but when you get injured, whether running or, uh, lifting or any other activity, as a, as a master's age athlete, it just takes way longer to come back, you know? And so you want to, you want to take your time, take it easy. This isn't weight training is not a race. There is no, there is no finish line. Nobody gets a medal, you know? So, uh, you know, take your time, do the work, uh, be thoughtful about it, you know, keep checking in with how you feel and, and, and go from there. I'm reminded by something you said a while back that I keep coming back to, and that's, it's not how much you lift, it's how you lift it. And when we're in the weight room as runners, 
we are as much practicing movements as we are trying to get stronger. So I think for the older athlete, there maybe is less of an emphasis on trying to lift more and more weight and uh, more of an emphasis on simply trying to master the movements, even if, you know, you're simply using the bar uh, or, you know, you're not adding very much weight when, you know, at, at those points in the program where we do say, okay, now is the time to lift more. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, <clears throat> Randy. And, you know, we, we've kind of been talking about mobility and flexibility. And some runners have asked me about the mobility screen that we include in high-performance lifting. What if you fail? What if you do the screen and you can't do some of the movements properly? Does that mean that you just can't go through the program? And how, how do you get runners prepared? Well, that, and that's a great question. You know, the screen that we kind of put together for this program is relevant to the, you know, the movements that we're, uh, we're trying to get done in the program. Uh, some of them are similar to the, uh, uh, the movements that you would, uh, you'd find in the, uh, the functional movement screen, which are purported to be uh, fundamental human movement. So if you can execute them within uh, a range of motion, pain-free, you, you get so many points. And if, if, if you can't, then there's a uh, constellation of exercises uh, to, to bring you up to speed for, for each of those movements to develop, you know, the strength or the, the mobility in both, or, or both that you need. So, for example, in our program, if you can't get the rack position and the front squat, proper resting across your clavicles resting across your shoulders with your elbows up high it's not a killer uh for uh, uh for the workout uh, but uh you want to work on that mobility and i would strongly discourage uh trying to do power cleans because uh, you need to be able to have that that rack position that you do in the front squat for a safe power clean but what you can throw in while you're working on that mobility is you can do you know, explosive clean pulls. And uh, when you're able to do those front squats relatively comfortably, now you're ready to get into those power cleans. Uh, you want to you use that screen as just sort of a – it's a screen. It's like, well, I, I, I could be better here. Uh, I can't get very deep in my overhead squat, you know, so I need to work on my ankle mobility, my hip mobility. Now, having said that, we don't do a lot of deep squatting, especially not in the quick lifts. We're doing power moves. So uh, it, it's not absolutely uh, essential to be able to hit a deep squat. I think my rule of thumb is do the range of motion that you're able to do pain-free. And over time, that will usually open up unless you've had you know, a severe injury or surgery or you know, you're just, uh, you know, uh, like a master's age athlete who's just accumulated a lot of, of stress injuries over time. They're going to have to do the, the best they can. So they may have to do partial movements, partial squats. What I'm learning now is that the mobility screen is not a binary type of thing. It's not a pass fail. You can start, you can't start type of screen. It's more of, uh, 
something that's going to give you more information about your physical skills and deficiencies. And it's really just telling you what you have to work on. So if you do struggle with certain movements, then just keep working at them. Just keep working on mobility and you're going to get there. You don't have to be perfect in order to go through the program. I think if, if we required perfect mobility, I don't think anybody would ever engage in any kind of running or weightlifting. Right. Well, that's why we have machines, right? <laughs> you don't have to worry about that stuff. But, uh, you know, they, they're not nearly as, as uh, productive for most people as, as free weights. And so, you know, one of my colleagues years ago quipped, you know, yeah, machines are great, you know, but uh, for certain, everything's got an application, you know, but it's an absolute mistake to use machines until you're, you think you're strong enough to start working with barbells. You know, it's like, you know, it, it's better to, because you you don't have that three-dimensional stabilizing uh, strength when you're when you're using machine. It's it's all it's all one dimension, and so uh, it was you know it was some, I'm, I'm forgetting the, the joke exactly, but it was like, would you rather uh, learn the exercise, you know, staggering around with 45 pounds or you know, really hurt yourself with 400 pounds, you know, so, you know, you know guys, uh, uh, guys will come into, you know, weightlifting sometimes from a powerlifting background, and they might be really, you know, pretty good powerlifters. So they're, they're strong guys, they got big squats, uh, big bench presses and such. And, uh, you know, they're strong enough to actually hurt themselves. And so, uh, but they have, they have, the reason they hurt themselves is they're not patient, and they don't, pay their dues in the sports specific movements that the Olympic lifts require. I mean, it's, it's a lot of conditioning in different planes of motion and the vice, you know, vice versa would be true. You know, you have some really strong Olympic lifters who, uh, squatting, a squatting aside in the power lifts, they're going to, uh, they're going to get themselves in trouble in the other lifts if they don't, again, you know, put in their, put it, you know, pay their dues, put in their time and, and do the conditioning so that those connective tissues, involved in those planes of motion and have an opportunity to adapt and remodel. Yeah, that's an important point. And I think it, that's really the goal of the phase one of high performance lifting, which is really let's, you know, thicken those connective tissues, let's toughen up the tendons and really make sure your joints and all those connective tissues are strong enough for the more powerful speed oriented lifts that come uh, later in the program. Uh, now, Let's talk about kind of the last question I have for you, Randy, and this this one is a big one I get all the time, and it's basically a variation of, is this for me? And there's a lot of runners who uh, are fall into a certain bucket. You know, they might be trail runners, or they might be slow runners, or they, maybe they're a triathlete. And, and the question is, is this program for trail runners, slow runners, fast runners, triathletes, uh, how, how would you think about that? And how would you recommend, uh, someone based on the type of race that they might be training for or their ability level, think about this kind of strength work? I'll just, I'll, I'll try to back into that. So I, I, you know, I, I have quite a few high school athletes and, uh, or I've had quite a few uh, high school athletes work with me and a few have gone on to do very well in division one programs and, uh, what they find out. So I'll talk, the feedback I get usually right away from my high school uh, women, especially, is that they feel less tired 
on their longer runs. It's like, and, and I, from that, I mean, they feel you know, their, their posture is better. They're able to maintain a good, uh, a, a good posture with less effort. You know, they don't notice themselves sagging out at the, you know, at the end of a run. And as they progress, you know, they, they start seeing things like just, you know, stronger finishes, uh, ability to hold higher tempos over, uh, over time. Uh, one of my gals wrote me the other day, uh, she's in a div one program that her strength coach at her, uh, in her program was so impressed with her lifting technique that he was having her demo for the male sprinters. She got a big kick out of that. I got a big kick out of that. I'm getting a big kick out of that. <laughs> and so, so I mean, for parents who are looking at their kids, one of the one of the. And I'm sorry, I'm going to digress just a little bit here. One of the problems we have with youth sports right now is uh, we've had it for for some time. Is you know, kids are just specializing so young that they're you know they're getting orthopedic injuries that you used to only see. In the pros, you know, so you have kids, 13 year old kids getting Tommy John surgery, which is just ridiculous. And, uh, and so one of the things that parents can do, uh, you know, if they've got a kid who's interested in being a runner, you know, aside from the obvious, which is have them, you know, have them try other sports, do other sports, uh, which in the end result, most, uh, most colleges, you know, div three on up. You know, they want well-rounded athletes, and you don't get well-rounded athleticism from just one sport. You know, you need to do a bunch of sports. And uh, while they may not be doing weightlifting or powerlifting as a sport, it's another set of athletic-based movements. Like, again, that uh, coordination training under, under resistance uh, that uh, adds some resilience and toughness uh, you know, to their, uh, uh, to their, uh, uh, to, to their sport. You know, they're going to be, they'll recover faster. They're going to perform better. They're going to be, uh, less injury prone. Uh, and, uh, I think they're going to be more athletic. So that's, that's taking care of this. Is it for kids? It's like, you know, indubitably. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, get your kids started, let them, you know, have them learn how to, lift weights properly when they're young and that's going to pay dividends, uh, throughout their life. And, uh, and you can look at them like, you know, kids are like, you know, baby masters, right? You don't, you don't load the masters up, you know, you don't load the kids up. You teach them the movements and proceed appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, so for trail runners, uh, I think absolutely. I, I mean, we can look at, uh, Addie Bracey here. She's the mountain runner of the year and all those races are on trails. Well, I have Addie, and I have uh, another woman who just signed up with me this week, who's uh, a serious trail runner, uh, and I also have a, a professional female uh, uh, mountain biker that works with me too. And they also, you know, the the uh, the new the new trail runner has only been with me two weeks. She had two long runs this weekend, and she said, "I've never felt better," and that's only after two weeks of work. Wow. She's basically wow. just learning the movements. And so I think, you know, just moving in a different way, you know, has some, some palpable benefits. And so Eddie, uh, you know, notices the difference. Uh, I think when she's laid off for a while, 
you know, she, she kind of, she kind of feels it, you know, she just kind of feels better overall when she lifts. And, uh, and, uh, I think what she's noticed is that, you know, these, you know, trail runners are bigger people generally, you know, they're, they're strong. Addie's a marathoner. You know, she came, she came from North Carolina as a steeplechaser. You know, she spent, you know, the eight or nine years out of college trying to figure out how fast she could run. I think she said in a recent interview, and now she's kind of looking at, you know, how the mountain stuff, it was like, how hard can I go? And now, you know, she's looking at ultras, you know, so somebody with 235 marathon speed going in the mountain running has some, has a, has a unique superpower in that community. But uh, what, meaning speed, and that's, you know, that's paid dividends for her. But some of those girls are just, I'm sorry, women, uh, forgive me, I'm old and, <laughs> <laughs> not as PC, not as PC as I should be. But the other one, I mean, there's some strong, strong women in, in the in the uh, uh, mountain running crowd, and so and sometimes that's you know that makes the difference. So I think you know part of Addie sticking to uh, the weight training is is she she realizes that you know the strength really helps when you think about the mechanics of running. The most efficient runners, arguably are the ones that have the most isometric stance phases, which means that the muscles neither lengthen, lengthen nor uh, shorten. So when you hit that stance phase, it's like you're doing max. So you know, uh, for the for your listeners who maybe aren't that up on uh, on movement, uh, muscle movements, muscle activation. So you've got concentric, which is lengthening, eccentric, which is shortening, and you have isometric, which is no movement at all. And isometric is the one that uh, uh, where you can exert the most force. So if you load up a, a bar and stick it in a power rack so that when you pull on it, 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 it hits against the pins, you can exert more force against that bar than you could if it was just a, a loaded bar that was moving off the floor. Um, so in, in, in the running stance phase, when the when the foot hits the ground, the less it moves, the more force you can produce, the less work is done, the less metabolic cost there is. And so uh, like Bosch surmises, for example, that the difference between the top 10 or 15 guys in marathon, as far as energy consumption goes and energy and, and, and running efficiency goes, isn't their fueling strategies, it's actually their strength their ability to exert isometric, high isometric, high force isometric non-movement, right? It's just hitting and springing, hitting and springing, because it's the, uh, it's that isometric force that causes the, the lengthening and the, you know, it brings in the elasticity of that muscular tendonous unit in the lower leg. And so the stiffer it is down there, you know, the more spring you get and, uh, and thus the more efficient you are. And so I think for, any runner, I'm not a runner anymore. I used to run. And I remember, even though I wasn't a high level runner, I was serious about it for a while. And, and, uh, and I remember how good it felt to go fast on the track and how springy it was when I was in good shape, you know, that, that level of spring and uh, effortlessness, relatively speaking, uh, how, how good that felt. And, you know, now I'm 60, so I'm like 30 years. I haven't run for 
really seriously at all for 30 years. I go out for a jog every now and then, and it's like I'm running in quicksand. There's no spring anymore. There's no, and 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 you know, and I know that a large measure of that is is that I just don't have the stiffness in the lower legs due to, you know, I'm just not sports specifically strong there anymore, and uh, and so uh, you know, I I work with some of my master athletes. Uh, one in particular comes to mind uh, who's still sprinting at the age of uh, 75, 76. And we do, you know, a lot of calf work. We're trying to keep his lower legs, as, we're trying to get his lower legs as strong as we possibly can because as he gets older, he just loses, you know, he's losing that elasticity. He's losing that strength and losing that. And so it won't make up for all of that, but it can make up for, you know, a good bit of that. We have mountain runners. You know, they just need to be, I think, strong, durable people. Uh, most of the power hike the hills. They're not really running the hills, but they've got to have strong quads. Squats help there. Uh, squats, uh, you know, with Addy, we do, uh, we throw in some extra uh, eccentric, slow eccentric work from time to time uh, for that downhill stuff that they run into in the mountains, which just, you know, beats up your quads. And so you have to have you know, a certain amount of conditioning for that. So we work a little bit of that in. Uh, my mountain bike racer, uh, you know, she deadlifts almost double body weight at this point. And, uh, she, she skis in the off season. She does some riding in the off season, but she, you know, she really feels the difference. She feels strong on the bike. And so you know, it's gonna be interesting to see what she does this season. This is her first year of, of lifting. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear that lifting can help you no matter if you're a, uh, teenager or you're 70 years old, or you're a beginner, or you're a mountain biker, or mountain runner, or trail runner. And, you know, more specifically about trails, the way that I think about this as a running coach is I think about the demands of trail running itself. So there's more frequent turns, there's varying terrain, changing elevation. And I, I think that demands higher levels of uh, all kinds of skills from, you know, basic strength to coordination and proprioception and lift a good lifting program is going to deliver on those benefits and really help your performances for good trail racing. Uh, because I think you do need probably a little bit more overall athleticism in a trail race rather than a road race just because of those demands. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think a lifting program would be stupendous for that kind of a person. Uh, although I, I love, I love hearing you just talk about how lifting is, is good for pretty much everyone. Yeah. When you have a good foundation of strength, uh, those more athletic, those more athletic maneuvers become easier I, you know, I, I watch the trail runners out here in Boulder, and I'm just astonished at, you know, the speed that they can descend, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm from the East Coast originally, and we got mountains, but they're not like mountains, <laughs> out here mountains. And, and the trails are, are not the same. And it, it, it really is astonishing. Uh, and uh, really appreciate the, uh, the strength and coordination that's required to negotiate. Uh, those downhills without, you know, face planning. I mean, I could barely walk up downhill without face planning. These guys are running full bore downhill. And it's, it's so impressive. There's an old saying in the uh, strength and conditioning profession that there's, uh, you know, there's plenty of slow, strong people out there. 
but there's no such thing as a weak fast person. And so if you want to be, you know, if, if you've got some speed going already, you've got, you've got some strength in specific ways. Uh, and I think that the strength training just sort of, uh, fills in that in-between stuff that you need in order to stay healthy because running, trail running, maybe not so much. Trail running, I think you get a more uh, varied uh, stimulus, right? You're not running straight ahead or just, or just making left turns on the track. You know, you're not getting, you're, you're not running as much of the risk of repetitive use injuries as you do, I think, as a, as a road runner might. In any respect, though, the the strength training gives you gives your body something that it's not getting from the running. It's getting a loading on those connective tissues that it's not getting from the running that are beneficial and carry over to the running and make you tougher, stronger, and it allows you to express your athleticism maybe at a higher level. Well, Randy, I think we can sum up this entire podcast by saying there are no weak, fast runners, and that strength allows you to express your athleticism. Those are tweetable. I love that. All right, Randy. Well, we'll cut it right there. I think that's perfect. Thanks so much for uh, spending some time with me and talking about strength stuff and physiology. And I I I love kind of hearing about a lot of the similar things that we talk about in the running world, but you know, in the strength and conditioning world. And it's always interesting to know that uh, I think whether you're a strength athlete or an endurance athlete, we have a lot more in common than you would think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Strength Running Podcast. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Randy. Like I mentioned at the beginning, high-performance lifting will get more expensive after Thursday. So please go to strengthrunning.com slash high-performance lifting to join before the price goes up. Finally, a big thanks to supporter of the show, Health IQ. They're a unique insurance company that helps health-conscious people like us runners get lower life insurance rates. Now, historically, runners have been penalized for things like family history and other attributes, but not rewarded for our healthy lifestyles. Health IQ changes that. They've gathered all kinds of data and research to convince insurance companies that health-conscious folks like runners deserve lower rates. We live healthier lifestyles after all. And since the research has shown that avid runners have lower risk of disease and even early death, they've been successful. Over the last three years, they've helped tens of thousands of athletes score billions of dollars of coverage. You want to see if you qualify? Go to healthiq.com slash strengthrunning to see how much money running can save you on life insurance. Thanks for tuning in, runners. Just you wait to see who and what we're talking about next week. It's going to be a lot of geeky fun. Stay tuned, and please do get in touch with me if you have any questions about high-performance lifting. Until next time.